1: Thanks for checking out the Shift Daily podcast. Should we change how we celebrate Canada Day this year? Dakota Bear shares why Canada Day can be a difficult day for Indigenous people. He shares more about the cancel Canada Day movement. Steve Stebbing reviews the latest musical from Lynn manuel Miranda, Peter Rabbit 2 and more. Plus a look at other movies including a long lost horror movie from the legendary George A. Romero. And finally, The International Dispatch with one and only uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert.
2: Welcome to the International Dispatch, from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert.
1: Love it. And uh, with that in mind, Mr. Gilbert, how the heck are you doing? It's been a hot minute, as the kids would say.
3: Oh, man, I'm, I'm great. They put a smile on my dial. It took me down memory lane. I, I remember that because that was during my first ever um, smoke storm during the wildfires in Washington last year. And And right. uh, you and I and Eric Chapman and, and Ben Dooley and, yeah. um, and a few others, we all got together uh, at the Vancouver waterfront and we sat down. and I think I gave you a sneaky weasel.
1: That's right. That's, I, I'd never had a sneaky weasel before. And uh turns out it's actually pretty delightful. So thank you for that. Yeah,
3: and yeah I, no, it's it, it, uh, Vic, uh, Victor from, uh, he used to be a producer of Mornings with Simi on mm-hmm. CKNW. He got me onto the sneaky weasels. He was like... This is the best uh, like summer lager you can have uh, in British Columbia. And I was like, you know, my, my friend John Jang needs to know about this.
1: <laughs> and uh, I do give it two thumbs up. And I believe the beer that I exchanged with you, uh, if memory serves correctly, was a Phillips Blue Buck, a, a, an oh. ale. And uh, that that's that's one of my all-time favorites, one of my go-tos.
3: And I never looked back. And, and, and in fact, um, <laughs> a funny story. When we moved to uh, back to Tokyo in October last year, um, we brought seven liters of Canadian craft beer <laughs> with us. <laughs> is that allowed? Is, or did you have to, like, smuggle that bad boy in? Well, no, I was amazed because my, my partner is from North America. She's from Chicago, so she's very used to this. But coming from New Zealand, you know, you're not allowed to bring, you know, you can't even have a speck of dirt on your shoes, right? You know, you can't you can't bring anything into the country. So I was like seven liters of craft beer because it's a very much of like a uh, yeah, a gift giving culture here. So if you haven't seen a friend for a long time, you give them a gift. And so you know, BC has a lot of craft beer, mm-hmm. so it's a very good gift to give. Um, and we brought several big bottles and cans and all kinds of things. And um, at that time. Uh, Haneda Airport here in Tokyo was not so busy. Uh, The customs uh, staff were not so busy themselves and uh, my partner had a small team of maybe eight or nine Japanese men crowded around her in smocks exclaiming as they uh, viewed her various craft beverages (laughs) uh, for which we paid a levy of 600 yen which is about six Canadian dollars. Wow. So we we paid six bucks to bring all of our Canadian craft beer into the country.
1: That's a good deal. That's a good deal. And, and, and for those that were listening just a moment ago when you're talking about how you can't like bring a speck of dirt with you to New Zealand, like that's not yeah. you exaggerating. That's actually factual because New Zealand, uh, I believe it's like the Department of Agriculture, they are so yeah. careful making sure that uh, invasive species do not get into that country.
3: Yeah. No, it, it's super protected. It's it's crazy protected. Um the the wildlife in New Zealand is uh, extremely diverse, but not often seen because it often it's a, like you know like a very like small you know insects, foliage, scrubs, all kinds of native things that have uh, not much immunity to the outside world. Mm-hmm. It's a very protected area, so if anything gets in, you know it could be um, game over for <laughs> I don't know the kiwi. Oh. Yeah, you know?
1: we don't want that. We do not ah. want that. So that's why they're ah. so stingent on those uh, particular protocols. But yeah. uh, Chris, it's an absolute delight having a chance to speak with you. Uh, it's the first time you and I get the chance to do this international dispatch, and yeah. uh, you are there from Tokyo at the mo- sorry from Japan at the moment. And yeah. uh, one of the things that you wanted to maybe get into was a story from Japan quite recently related to a Japanese Olympic official.
3: Yeah. So. You know, Usually in this segment, I try and keep things uh, light and breezy, mm. uh, but th- this is not so light and breezy. Uh, but I think it's quite important, and maybe especially since the Olympics are a month away, uh, not so reported. Um, but uh, yeah, an Olympic official, like somebody that's working on the Olympics, I believe in the accounting department, has uh, died in the last week here. Um and they died by, you know, effectively taking their own life on mm. Monday morning at twenty past nine at on the uh, Nakanobu subway station. Uh, he he died by being struck by an oncoming train. Mm. He he was uh, his name was uh, Moria-san. He was fifty two years old. He was a high ranking executive for the Japanese Olympic Committee, uh, heading up the accounting division. Um, and he uh, died at a hospital uh, not not too long after. Uh, And the point here is, it it is being seen as an intentional suicide. And we like, I I think the point here is that despite, you know, all the all the things are fine, things are great. We can have the Olympics. Don't worry about it. Like, don't worry about the COVID numbers. Vaccines are happening. Things are coming. Don't worry about it. Uh, There is a human uh, toll to what is currently happening in Tokyo, uh, whether it is uh, overwork. Uh, or uh, stress from making these uh, otherwise impossible games happen, uh, an effect of conscience, or maybe uh, external matters, we don't know. Uh, But I I felt like it was just important to quickly just touch on the fact that there are people who are working on the the Japanese Olympic Committee who are dealing with all kinds of stress. And not only that, but an entire public here who does not want them to do their job mm-hmm. and does not want the games to happen so uh ju- just a moment to um consider those people, I thought was appropriate.
1: No, I think you're right. And and my understanding, and you can confirm, is that like most of the people, the citizens of Japan, don't necessarily support the idea of have, having these Olympics uh, proceed the way that they're supposed to. And yet, if Japan, the nation, the government, had made the decision to just cancel the Olympics, they would be on the hook for what I think is hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions. Yeah. And so like the government is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like You either go into a tremendous amount of debt, or you have yeah. the Olympics and possibly threaten the safety of your citizens.
3: And not only that, but the head of the International Olympic Committee, Dick Pound, has come out and said even if Tokyo or the Japanese government asked for the Olympics to be cancelled, he, the IOC would effectively say no. Wow. So it's not like even if they were willing to take the hit and take the loss. so. It's starting to feel to me like the decision for the Olympics to go ahead is at the international, the organizing level of mm. the of the actual IOC. Um, and the, Despite the fact that, you know, the vaccination rate here is still quite slow. Um, the case numbers are still quite high. And as you said, John, like, I mean, I was back in Tokyo for maybe a month, like last November, and I went and saw my friend and I asked him, do you think the Olympics will happen next year? And he said to me, in Japanese, he said the word uh, muri, muri, which effectively means like a very strong way of saying no way and impossible. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, and just if I could speak personally for a moment, and I think I, I the sentiment is shared while I sit here waiting for my vaccine, I personally am dreading it. Yeah um and uh I just I I can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean imagine that like the IOC doing shady, suspicious dealings to essentially yeah. hold an entire country hostage with the Olympic Games. Like if it does yeah. happen to proceed next month, and I also uh would like to see it cancel for the benefit of you know human beings. Yes um <sighs> I've never heard of an Olympics being held where the country that's hosting it is actually, like, being held hostage. Like, that is mind-boggling to me. But uh, we all know the IOC, not exactly the cleanest, nicest, most uh, reputable organization that's ever been around. So, yeah. yeah.
3: I I, I truly feel, um, like, I felt since the beginning of, of the pandemic that the pandemic has stripped certain layers of our society back to reveal what they really are. And, and I, I feel for the IOC that this might be a case of, oh, man, if we don't have the Olympics, people might start to think that, you know, we don't need the Olympics. Oh, we don't want that now, do we? You know. right? <laughs> we like it's almost like it's superfluous and excessive and like a waste of resources. Mm. And, but that's my own subjective judgment coming in. No, I, but, you know, you, I know I
1: suspect. you and I, I think, are on the same beat when it comes to how we feel about <laughs> uh, the Olympics and the IOC. Yeah. Like, you know, th- th- I won't lie. I had a great time when the Olympics were here in Vancouver, but you look at historically, like, the past number of Olympics and the economic damage that it's done to the countries hosting it, there's not a lot of benefits to hosting the Olympics. So no. uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, to lighten yeah. up the conversation here, Chris, uh, an, an yeah. Ohio doctor is claiming uh, something quite... Unique with people uh, and relating to like superhero powers. What's this all about?
3: Yeah, no, it turns you into X-Men, apparently. <laughs> okay. um, so the, the vaccine, um, an Ohio doctor and uh, the 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 AB, uh, NBC report here, calls her a conspiracy theorist, Dr. Sherry Tinpenny, uh, has claimed falsely that the COVID-19 vaccine is, quote, magnetizing, magnetizing people <clears throat> after uh, stating uh, that protein in the vaccine has a metal attached to it She says, you can put a key on your forehead and it will stick. So, uh, yeah, a a bold claim. So I would like to hear it. So let's, let's listen to a clip of her saying that.
4: Some of the information that I think had been discussed in your podcast related to EMF frequencies. That was a thought. And And it was because now because right now we're all kind of um,
0: hypothesizing. I mean, what is it that's actually being transmitted that's causing all of these things? Is it a combination of the protein, which now we're finding has a metal attached to it? I'm sure you've seen the pictures all over the Internet of people who've had these shots and now they're magnetized and put a key on their forehead. It sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them and they can stick. Oh, oh,
3: wow. Yeah, no, what, what I want to know, is who's been leaving all the syrup on all the forks and spoons and sticking to people's, people's foreheads?
1: Well, you know, Canadian maple syrup, it is sticky. We do like our sticky syrup <laughs> over here, but I, I don't think I've heard of that one yet. That's a new yeah. one.
3: Yep. Sticky forks and spoons—that's that's the real villain of uh, of, of the COVID nineteen <laughs> pandemic. I and mean, my favorite part of that clip was right at the start, where where I think that she's talking to like a uh, some kind of like Ohio committee, mm. and uh, and they're asking what well, you said that you made this claim on your podcast, and um and Doctor Ten, well quote Doctor says, says uh, that was a thought. <laughs> <laughs> just so we're clear, that. this ain't factual. It's just a thought, a suspicion. In my defense. I was thinking out loud and I was talking to the air, so you can't really hold that against me. That, um, you know. She does go on, though. Uh, so I, I, I like this next clip, too. She, she goes on, and um, this has a, a couple of good quotes in it, too. So let's listen to a bit more.
0: Because now we think that there's a metal piece to that. There's been people who've long suspected that there was some sort of an interface, yet to be defined, an interface between what's being injected in these shots and all of the 5G towers. Not proven yet, but we're trying to figure out what is it that's being transmitted to these unvaccinated people that are causing health problems.
3: Yeah, what is it?
1: <laughs> well, keep it. <laughs> I love how she just buries in the middle. Not proven yet.
3: Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right up there with, uh, that was a thought. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not proven yet. And following that will be, uh, why are we talking about this?
1: Right. <laughs> I mean, she's obviously spoken with uh, a team of lawyers just to be like, hey, if you're going to be saying these, you got to make sure there's uh you got to make sure you know about liabilities and just yeah. working around that a little bit.
3: But but can we just put down for the record, uh, let's just say her name again on national radio in Canada, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of uh june twenty twenty one um has said what is it that is being transmitted to these unvaccinated people that is causing health problems there's mm-hmm. yeah. a real question that somebody asked in june twenty twenty one and uh I, why why do we why why does the news like these people Jean? like why do we why do we listen to them
1: uh because i think it's it, it's compelling in the sense it's like for most people. You look at this and you think, what are you on, right? Like that, yeah. that's the reaction I think most normal people would have. Whereas I guess there are some others that would look at it and be like, I knew it. I, I knew it.
3: There's a doctor here
1: that's backing me up.
3: <laughs> it was, I knew there was a reason these folks were sticky. Yeah. It's
1: not just because my dishwasher doesn't work anymore. No, no, no. <laughs>
0: now, i sorry yeah. to interject here. Have you, gentlemen, seen the clip of the other lady in the States trying to prove this theory in front of lawmakers? Oh, oh no. no. There is a clip, and on, it, yeah. the medium fails us here, where she says. I can take this key and stick it anywhere on my body and it sticks. (laughs) So she sticks it to her chest and it sticks. But like, I could do that with anything and it would stick. Like, that's there's condensation there from your sweat. That's a part of your body where you can make that happen. So she recognizes that and says, I'll put it on my neck. She puts it on her neck, key falls puts it again, key falls. Hmm. She tries to do it for a good probably forty seconds. And at the very end after the key falls down, she just says, Can someone please explain this to me? And it's it's perfect. It's just
5: perfect.
3: Physics. <laughs> Science. I... Science. <laughs> and for my I have so many thoughts about that. Yeah. Like 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 first of all, we're just at like circus pageantry at this point aren't we like it it's just like it's yes. just like it's just like who can we trot out next you know <laughs> who who wants to go on on tv next who wants to be famous for one day next and and the other part of me is thinking these are clearly people who did not get enough attention at elementary school
1: mm. yeah yeah you and, might have some like
3: you know like I, I can put this spoon on my nose and and people can look at me and i can say it's because of covid Nineteen vaccine which is going to save millions and millions of lives but hey look i can put the spoon on my nose oh wait no i can't it fell off
1: right yeah no i mean you know it would be worth a chat i'm sure with like psychologists just to sort of get into the minds of people that operate this way and an explanation as to why this is happening and how it's happening that would be fascinating
3: well well, thanks for the tip right i know what i'm going to be doing after the show is just googling (laughs) people putting cutlery on their body
1: man it's beautiful uh, Sizzling Steve just texting in really quickly. Uh, the key is made yeah. of brass. It's non-magnetic. What are people doing?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> that too.
3: <laughs> that's a good point. Like, aren't are they surprised they're not just walking around and like l- mailboxes are being like uprooted and thrown across the road at them or something? Yeah. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't like this middle like staplers be hurled across classrooms towards vaccinated teachers?
1: You would think. You would think. But logic, you know, it doesn't dictates everyone's uh, mode of thinking. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I'm trying to be nice here. Yeah, trying to be nice.
3: This does come though um, at a point in the in the vaccination process in America, where uh, I guess like the the first wave of vaccinations the people who really really want to be vaccinated, um, there's kind of like surged and and swelled, and now was ebbed out back to sea. Uh, now we're like the, the U S seems to be trying to mop up the rest of the population who is, um, less willing to be vaccinated to reach mm-hmm. herd immunity. Uh, in Alabama, there's one County called Russell County, uh, which has one of the lowest vaccination rates in the entire country. Um, and when, just while I was uh, looking at that clip of, um, spoon lady, <laughs> Uh, the uh, the next clip that played was this news story, so I wanted to play a little bit of this. So uh, th- th- this is a little re- bit of a report, the third clip um, about uh, Russell County in, in Alabama.
4: Have you been vaccinated against COVID-19?
3: No, ma'am. How
4: come?
2: Because I don't want to.
4: In Russell County, Alabama, less than 15% of residents are fully vaccinated. It is the least vaccinated county in
0: one of the least vaccinated states.
4: You know, I haven't taken the vaccine. But eventually we all gonna have to get vaccinated, but I'm cool right now. In Phoenix City, the reasons people gave us for not getting vaccinated varied. I don't trust it. I'm sorry, but I just don't. I don't know. I'm kind of like a conspiracy theorist. You know, I be thinking about stuff like that. But...
3: Oh, my. I mean, I, I just, I'm just, I, speaking for myself, can not relate. No. Nope. Like, can, like, can, John, have you been vaccinated?
1: I have. Yeah. Dose one.
3: Yeah. 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 Nice. Congratulations. Like, I, I think maybe my dose one might be coming in maybe late July. Okay. And yeah. I am jogging on the spot. And, and I can speak for my friends here as well who are who just like, shoot me already. <laughs> just like put it in my arm. <laughs> just put it. This, I want the needle. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're, we're cooped up inside, self regulated. Like we can go out and do things. We can go to the bar. We can go to the restaurant, but nobody's going to. Right. You know, when well, no one's going to catch the train to the other side of Tokyo to go to the museum, that, sure, it is open. But no one's going there. We're cooped up inside because we're not going to take the risk, and so we're just jogging on the spot, being like, "Oh my god, put that vaccine in my arm already!" Wow. Yeah. And I, 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 ca- I cannot relate to people who are like, "I'm sorry, I don't trust it."
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, know it's that bizarre. That first gentleman in that clip you just played. That you know, she asked him, "Why aren't you getting it?" I just don't want to. Like it was just yeah. the most uh, monotone. I, I can just picture the guy, because I, I don't have the video, but I can just picture exactly what he looks
3: like, and boy, I just don't yeah. want to, okay? Leave me alone. That's yeah. basically what it is. I mean, f- friends, if you can, please go get vaccinated. Um, but... uh yeah, I, I can't wait for it. Do, do, we, do we have time quickly to quickly chat about the wandering elephants or are we, are we almost out?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Uh, elephants. So uh, okay. what's going on there? Because, you know, Ryan mentioned this on the, uh, in case you missed it, last night. So what, what do we know about these elephants
3: now that are traveling? Uh, I'm not sure what Ryan meant. What, what did you mention about the elephants, Ryan? They're the, the, the well, going I'm- for a long walk?
0: They're going for a long walk. They might be lost because their herd leader is dumb or they might be <laughs> running out of food yeah. and that they've ate a million dollars worth of food. So that's what we know about the elephants so far.
3: Wait, like human food? Like processed food?
0: No, crop. They've like done a million dollars in oh. damage to mm. crops in China, which is just kind of oh. insane to think
3: about. That's a lot. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, like Australia's mice problem is um, China's elephant problem. I guess you know like australia's been overrun with mice and well china has at least 15 elephants um but i i have good news to report okay is is that uh, they are taking a little rest they're having a sleep oh. um oh yeah. good so yeah they, they, if you if you google the uh, like you can just google it uh, china's herd of elephants uh, takes a rest uh, on the guardian is a beautiful photo uh of like maybe from a drone of all the um The elephants uh, in a real pile, like where the wild things are, Mm. uh, just sleeping all together. It's so adorable. Uh, Uh, The story. Sorry, go on, John.
1: I was just going to say, I I think I'm going to look that up. It might be my new phone background. I've been looking for a new one. So that might be it.
3: Yeah. Uh, It's definitely going to be my new Zoom uh, call virtual background. Nice. Yeah. Um, But uh, the story goes, China's famous herd of wandering elephants has stopped for a rest after uh, a 15-month journey out of their natural habitat. Uh, authorities have marshaled extraordinary resources, as Ryan mentioned, to uh, monitor the herd, keep it away from residential areas. And um, my, my imagination, it naturally took me towards just this one person standing in the middle of a square, like, like Tiananmen Square style, in front of 15 elephants, just saying, like, No, stop. Like, stop. <laughs> yeah, good luck
1: with that. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, stop being an elephant. If you were a mouse, you might have more success because, right, elephants are supposed to be scared of those things.
3: Why? Wait, hold a second. Why has nobody thought of this? Just dangle a mouse in front of these guys, they'll turn around.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't always have brilliant ideas, but they are due every now and then. I think that might be the best one I've had tonight.
3: Because I've been trying to think about this. I've been thinking, how can you stop? If 15 elephants want to walk 500 Ks, And then stop for about a year and like have, you know, have a baby and then get up and and keep walking. And then, you know, they sit down and they have a bit of a rest and then they eat all the crops and they keep walking. Like, how do you change an elephant's mind? Hmm. You know, because the the elephant knows why it's walking. The elephant never forgets.
1: (laughs) No, they have great memory.
3: And I think a mouse might be the trick. Um, but yeah, they're having a rest, just so everyone knows. The herd of wild Asian elephants is tracked to a forest just outside a village in Xiyang Township in Yunnan, about 90 kilometers southwest of Kunming City. And they're all lying down. They're having uh, what we call in, in uh, Japan a QK, mm. like, which is like a, a little break. Okay. Um, and they began moving again on Tuesday morning. And uh, the TV is still following them. So uh, a forest gumpian. Uh, march across the countries and I, I'm pretty sure if you ask one of these elephants why did you walk across China the elephant would reply I just felt like walking so, uh, all, <laughs> the more, all the more power to them.
1: love it uh, you know what we'll, we'll see if this uh, trek continues at some point but for now good to yeah. know that they're at least getting their much-needed R&R uh, Chris Gilbert sir it's been an absolute delight thank you for giving us a little bit of the international dispatch not sure when you and I will get a chance to connect again but let's not wait as long as we we did this time.
3: Uh, you you always have a place to crash with me here in Tokyo, John. Good to talk to you again. Love it. Domo arigato. Uh See. Yeah. See you next time.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: But the question for you now is: What should Canada Day look like this year? If we acknowledge that we are going through a time of national mourning in light of the discovery at the Kamloops Residential School. Is it appropriate to celebrate Canada Day the way that we have done so in the past? There's a growing movement right now that you can find on social media with the hashtag Cancel Canada Day. It's quite bold. It's quite attention-grabbing. It's quite catching, if you will. To talk more about this, we are joined by Dakota Bear, who is helping organize the event here in Vancouver and across the country. Dakota, thank you for giving us some time here on the show.
2: Okay, yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course.
1: Now, with this uh, Cancel Canada Day movement, obviously the name itself is uh, quite compelling. It's going to have a lot of people paying attention to it. So, for those that maybe aren't familiar with what this movement is going to be all about, what is the plan for it to actually look like on July
2: 1st? Well, there's going to be um, rallies, different types of actions, events. Uh, across Turtle Island, and in Cancer Canada really is, you know, there's no pride in genocide, and uh, what we're seeing is an ongoing genocide, continued by the Canadian state and Indigenous peoples have been suffering through this, you know, 500 plus years, and uh, there's nothing to celebrate for us.
1: Right, I mean, especially in light of the recent discovery at the Kamloops Residential School, uh, it's been I think, a time of reckoning for many Canadians who might have been ignorant to a lot of the pain and suffering uh, that the Indigenous peoples have been facing for a very long time. So I want to ask you, Dakota, is the current version of Canada Day, is it a painful anniversary for Indigenous communities in Canada, whereas most Canadians uh, look at it and, you know, they, they put on the red and white, they wave the Canadian flag, and they celebrate it, but maybe it's been done entirely wrong.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, people have been ignorant and, uh, you know, a big part of that is just through the colonial institutions that have, you know, disregarded, um, the past and current histories of indigenous peoples, the things that we're facing, uh, ongoing, you can see with, the uh, MMIWG to, two S T report, you know, um, It's an ongoing genocide. There's forced sterilizations happening. Uh, There's birth alerts happening. You know, that's forcible removal of children transferred to another group. You know, that's sterilizing women so they cannot have children. There's so many moving pieces to this. And, of course, it's painful to see that, you know, we're celebrating at a time where we're mourning, constantly mourning. You know, there's 215 kids that were discovered. And that's because we're pushing for that. We're pushing on the Canadian state to continue to search every residential school. That's not the first or last grave that they're going to find, you know. So it is, it's painful for us to see the celebration when we're in mourning and uh, we need to see justice and we're fighting and demanding that justice, you know, on many different levels, frontline, political, you know, there's so many different levels to to this and for us as young people you know now we're in 2021 the internet social media the information is more readily available the truth is out there so it's really up to you know Canadians to decide if they want to digest that information and that truth and once they do how are they going to move forward because you know everybody is benefiting from the lands and resources here in canada you know except indigenous people because we don't have infrastructure for clean water in our communities we don't have infrastructure proper infrastructure for housing education you know all of these things that when we say canada has the highest quality of life you know one of the highest qualities of life in the world it really depends on who you are and where you live here you know and uh We don't feel that and we don't see that. So that's why we do what we got to do, put the word out, come together in unification, all peoples of the land, because we really need to come together to be able to move forward. Yes, acknowledge that history, but also acknowledge that this is ongoing and and it hasn't ended.
1: But Dakota, I'm curious now, what is the response for people who resist the Cancel Canada Day movement and chalk this up to, oh, it's just another example of cancel culture. What would you have to say to people that would say things like that?
2: Well, Canada was built on cancel culture, though. You know, Um, they had to cancel our culture for Canada to become what it is. You know, they had to destroy one nation for Canada to be birthed as a nation. So when we have all of the facts, not opinions but facts, you know, on how Canada became what it is today, then we have a lot of work to do before we start celebrating. The work is being done right now and it's it's really up to the individuals, you know, when they have that information, they have that truth, what are they going to do? Are they are they going to become ignorant, you know, when m- their children need to know this so we can heal together. We're here together, all of us, you know, we live on these lands. So what are we going to do to ensure, you know, if you have children, my children, you know, that they're able to move forward in a world that's just, that everybody's treated fairly, everybody has clean water, you know, a world that we claim to live in right now, but we do not. So, i have no hate in my heart you know i understand ignorance but now is not the time for ignorance especially right now with all of these things happening you know to the indigenous community black community muslim community you know the bipoc, BIPOC the asian community all of us you know are going through this really suffering through the effects of colonialism and those who aren't affected can really live their lives day to day and it doesn't affect them you know people ask me how did i become an advocate I really had no choice. You know, my uncle, my, my brother, my mom, my cousin all affected by these different systems, police brutality, the child welfare system, you know, the neglection within the healthcare system. My uncle had passed away in two thousand sixteen because of the neglection in the healthcare system, you know. So I had no choice. I stand up and I fight for justice because there is no other choice for us. And yes, it is exhausting. But we hope to come together to start this healing process, to work together. You know, when settlers first started to arrive here, what is now known as Canada, Turtle Island for Indigenous people, we had those relationships. You know, Métis, the Métis Nation was born, you know, we were helping each other we were willing to share the canadian state did not fulfill its end but we did so we need to do a lot of work individually collectively and it just seems like we're carrying that workload which to me is not fair but we continue to do it because we we want a better future for our children
1: Strong words again, Dakota, and uh, I'm very sorry to hear about the passing of your uncle under those circumstances. Obviously, that's not uh, what anyone or any family should have to go through. Uh, Finally, Dakota, for Canadians that are listening and feel compelled to get involved or to learn more about what this movement is all about, how can they find those resources?
2: Um, So, Idle No More has a webpage, IdleNoMore.ca. There's past campaigns and the present campaign on there already. There's a lot of valuable information and backlinks to other Indigenous movements uh, across Turtle Island. Uh, is a great resource. There's a lot of information online already. There's a lot of Indigenous BIPOC accounts that you can follow through social media. Uh, you know, after you do a little bit of digging and you're looking to search for that, the information is there, you know, and And uh, our voices are only getting louder. And it seems like, you know, the more that we continue to do this work, the more people that we start to gain the support. And I think that's important. You know, the power of that social media and the power of learning, you know, the knowledge, it's there, it's already there. So once you tap in and you access it, you know, you'll have a different perspective on Canada and Canada Day and where we're coming from. And I think that's important. Uh, So I would definitely, you know, for starters, I would definitely check out that webpage, uh, get involved. There's going to be, you know, I'm sure more teach-ins for people to learn more about the histories and uh, the ongoing present uh, plights that Indigenous people are facing.
1: He is Dakota Bear helping out with this upcoming Cancel Canada Day movement. Dakota, appreciate you giving us some time and uh, speaking on, on a lot of these topics. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me and everybody that's listening and does want to get involved. It's going to be happening 2 p.m. Uh, Vancouver Art Gallery. That's where we're going to start. Uh, we're going to have a march and we're going to have a celebration after uh, at Crab Park. So everybody's free to join. Join us. You'll learn. Uh, we'll come together and, and uh, we'll move forward. So thank you again for having me. It's the Shift Podcast.
1: Love it. Oh, it's just—it's—it's it's the classiest music intro in all of radio. Steve, how you doing, pal?
5: It's far classier than I deserve, but I'm always grateful
1: <laughs> for it. Uh, you're too hard on yourself, Mr. Stebbing. Uh, always a delight when you and I get Thank a chance to, uh, to chat. Uh, I know you're uh, very excited to connect with, with Shane. He's back with you next week, but for now, you're just going to have to deal with me. So just settle in for a few minutes, okay? Oh, we have good chats, John. It's true. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. It is always delightful. Uh, before we get into <laughs> the movies and the shows, Steve, I just wanted to get your thoughts because we are hearing that, you know, much music is making a big comeback. And you, as someone who is mm-hmm. so connected to all things media, uh, what was your experience mm-hmm. growing up? And, like, how do you discover new music today as opposed to new music Ooh. from back when you were just a little taught?
5: Yeah, I mean, much music was the easiest way to connect um, and find new artists. Uh, I mean, it definitely formulated my musical taste to this day. And definitely uh, George Strombone's, uh Loud. Because mm-hmm. um, that was a huge part of my life. And uh, I, I mean, I kind of jumped onto the Spotify thing uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's kind of been my biggest source of knowing when stuff was coming out. Uh, and of course, the they have like kind of like uh, mixes, like new release mixes that kind of put new stuff into my ear. But it definitely wasn't a, it's not as connective as much music was when I was growing up because it just it felt more like um, you were stumbling upon something genius uh, rather than just uh, kind of being fed it. Mm. Like, I don't know. It's 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 quite different now. But yeah, I, I mean, I miss the much music of old. I miss the Weird Al takeovers. Yes. Of much music. Which were like some of my most vivid memories. Uh, I miss when they hit the the kind of the 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 hard subjects, the too much for much. Like there was just so much going on with that channel that kind of formulated what we thought media was mm-hmm. really.
1: Yeah, no, I think you you put it really, really quite nicely. Uh, this new edition, of course, they're going straight to TikTok, so it's. Uh, totally digital. Uh, they're going straight mm-hmm. for the youth, which I think is a, is a solid move. But uh, will it be the same? I, I guess uh, TBD we'll, we'll see at some point, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. So thank you for at least just uh, enlightening us with that. Uh, your particular uh, you know history with that particular channel. All right, Steve, uh, it's another episode of What the Hell Should I Watch? And let's start off right at the top with In the Heights. I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank
2: for this day.
6: This is gonna be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are
4: against you.
2: But there's a chance, right?
6: A dream isn't some sparkly diamond, there's no shortcuts. Sometimes it's rough.
1: all right. Uh, that looks like a very interesting, compelling piece. Usually when you watch these trailers, you can tell what the tone of the film is supposed to be based on the music there, Steve. So I, I take it this is a, a a story where you get some uplifting moments and some very emotional, powerful moments, too.
5: Yeah, this is definitely your, your joyous, uplifting, um, infectious uh happy film uh that we were supposed to get last year uh and kind of the pandemic kind of shifted it almost an entire year uh to now and i mean this is Lynn manuel miranda ch- uh, teaming up with uh, john m chu uh and i'm i mean i i will say it easily that i'm not a, a big musical fan but i'm really kind of drawn to this one because uh miranda is really really good at writing these these great and catchy films with a a deep and rich story to it and it also has anthony ramos who i really enjoyed in a star is born and Mm. of course he's no he's no stranger to uh to the writer of this one because he was a big part of hamilton as well uh so i think nothing but good thoughts about this movie i wonder if maybe musicals are coming
1: back in a sense like maybe it'll never be like you're going to have three or four musicals coming out all at once. Like you see summer blockbusters Mm -hmm. coming out, but are we starting to see just more of an appetite for those particular films, even if it's not Steve's go-to choice?
5: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not going to have like kind of like a Renaissance that you did in the forties, fifties and sixties where there, it was kind of uh, like a main staple genre. But honestly, if you do it well and you do it correctly, um, there is the the market for it. I mean, theres there's been films in the last couple of years that have gotten close to it. I mean, Teen Spirit with Elle Fanning is really, really good and very music-driven. Uh, Yellow Rose, uh, a small indie film from last year as well. Uh, like, there are little sparks of it, but mm-hmm. you just got to bring the originality because um, the audience has seen a lot in, like, the last hundred years of cinema. That's fair. All right, uh, moving along. This
1: title is a very familiar name. This is Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway.
3: Are you the author? It's really the rabbit
1: story. I just wrote it down. Look, Dad, it's Peter Rabbit.
7: Oh, uh, I hate that I'm the face of this. He's a little naughty. What? Are you Peter? That depends who's asking. No.
5: Peter, stay out of
7: trouble. Told you he has it in
5: for me. He was talking to all of us. I'm talking to you, Peter.
1: All right, that is Peter Rabbit (laughs) 2, The Runaway. Uh, Steve, maybe I'm on an island here, but I'm kind of getting sick and tired of James Corden, so is this the (laughs) right film for somebody like me who thinks this guy is just everywhere, and I've kind of had enough?
5: No, but... uh... Like if you've already if you're already like tapping out to to hearing any more James Corden, you're probably not gonna like this at all. <laughs> but uh I honestly I liked the first film. I think that Corden is kind of like a good voice for this character. I also think that the the human element of this movie, uh, of the first movie worked really well because it's Rose Byrne and Domnell Gleason, who are just Uh, I they're just phenomenal Mm -hmm. and and they bring so much to to each role this isn't your Paddington movies like it's not like on that level of of beloved and and phenomenal uh but it is enjoyable you're not like if if you want to sit the kids in front of it you're not gonna want to um you know eat the theater seat to get out of it um it's it's you know it's fun and uh it's a little cheeky and uh yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe after the first one, I was like, that wasn't bad. So
2: <laughs> I could be
5: surprised by this one as well, which was also delayed by the pandemic, too. Fair
1: enough. Uh, you know, you mentioned Domhnall Gleeson, Rose Byrne, uh, two very phenomenally talented actors with a ton of range. Mm-hmm. Like Rose Byrne has been in action films. She was in um, also in like comedies like Bridesmaids, mm-hmm. Domhnall Gleeson. I thought his work in Days X was just marvelous. So to see them coming together, that's always a treat.
5: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, Rose Byrne brings that comedy edge that I didn't know she had until I think it was Neighbors. I was like, holy crap, this woman's hilarious. And uh, I mean, Domhnall, he's just he's just such a chameleon of an actor and he plays uptight really, really well. (laughs) Maybe he's he's bringing some of his Star Wars role into it just a tiny bit, uh, you know, with all the injustice that was served in that. Yeah, that's fair.
1: All right, uh, this next <laughs> one for the horror movie fans. This one's called The Amusement
5: Park. The man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself, separated only by the passage of time.
3: Why are you punishing me for Hello? There's
5: nothing, nothing out, out there. I'll see for myself. Bye.
1: I'll see you in the park someday. Ooh, it's kind of creepy, but also kind of mysterious. What is this all about?
5: Yeah, this is really cool. And, and I, I give it up to, to Shudder for giving us the avenue to see this one uh, because this is the new film. Uh, From George A. Romero and a director that passed away four years ago, like Mm. a legend uh, of a filmmaker. But this is a movie that he completed 46 years ago that hadn't seen the light of day until now. And uh, I mean, just like uh, most of his films, this is socially biting. It's subversive. It is genuinely creepy. And uh, it's just one of those ones that the the genre fans are going to really want to jump in on, and especially if you're a completionist when it comes to Romero's career. And I know there are a lot of us out there, um, me included, uh, that were hooked from Night of the Living Dead on uh, that just kind of want to see him. This is kind of like almost the completion of his oeuvre. So it's pretty cool.
1: This is really fascinating. So this was then created 46 years ago. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about actors and actresses that people know nowadays. We're going back to something that was done many, many decades ago, but we're just seeing it for the first time. So the 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 set, the characters, everything is going to be quite old school.
5: Yeah, and it's done in his really guerrilla style that, I mean, got him – Famous, I mean, Night of the Living Dead was like very shoestring and it's a complete masterpiece. And uh, I mean, had Amusement Park been released when it when it was made, I don't think it would have had the same effect unless we've had uh, decades of uh, Romero's work to look back on. All right. uh, Moving along. This one's
1: called Kate Nash. Underestimate the girl. Everybody wanted to see
3: Kate. There were queues around the block. Our album made of bricks, number one on the British charts. Please welcome Kate Nash,
2: everybody. People were like chasing me to a taxi and I was like, I'm not Beyonce.
4: (laughs) The men that I worked with didn't look after me like this 20-year-old girl. They worked me like a donkey and I made loads of money for them. Sold over a million records. It wasn't like I was trying to be a pop star. I just wanted to make songs.
1: All right. Full transparency, I have no idea who Kate Nash is. So is this an opportunity uh, for me to just learn everything about this person?
5: I think so, because I, I mean, I really didn't know a lot of her music aside from the the couple singles that that made her a huge star mm-hmm. at 18 in the UK. Um, but my wife was honestly the one that turned me on to uh, Kate Nash and, and gave me kind of an education uh, of who she was musically because I really only knew her as a cast member of the Netflix show Glow, which she, she's oh. so great in. And I, I wish they didn't cancel that third season that, that they kind of went forward because, oh, man, I wanted to see more. Um, but... Uh, This is such a just like such a damning tale about the record industry again and how it fails to protect uh, young stars and everything as she was catapulted to stardom at 18. Mm -hmm. And then when she decided that she wanted to change um, her style a bit and move into something that was closer to who she was growing as an artist her record label dropped her her uh, manager stole money from her and it all led to her basically living out of her car wow and it's uh, it's, it's just an insane thing tale uh, of a a massive talent that was basically marginalized by everybody that was supposed to help her
1: yeah i'm convinced i'll definitely check that out because it is a huge issue within the industry so Mm -hmm. i'm always in support of artists who are trying to grow trying to develop and and exposing the truths of the music industry which is really quite shady uh steve we're just up against the clock so let's go down to your blu-ray and dvd geek count. this one called the gentleman
3: If you smell smoke, it's because there's a fire. So you're going to have to stamp that out quickly.
7: These people are going to clean house, and you are part of that house.
2: In the jungle, the only way a lion survives, not by acting like a king, by being
1: the king. Oh, I like this. Uh, we got about mm. 60 seconds here, Steve. Guy Ritchie. I mean, enough said, right?
5: I know, right? Like, Guy Ritchie's most Guy Ritchie-like movie since Rock and Roller. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I love when he does movies like this. I, I enjoyed Wrath of Man recently, but it doesn't... It doesn't feel like that fun, funny type of guy, Ritchie. It was just like hard edge and and violent and angry. But uh, the gentleman and this cast, Colin Farrell almost steals this movie. Uh, Henry Golding. There's so many good people in this film. Yeah. So Math- many. Matthew McConaughey, uh, Hugh Grant, and Charlie, Charlie Hunnam. Hunnam. Charlie
1: Hunnam <laughs> from, um, uh, what was it? The Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, yeah. And also Pacific Rim, which I actually enjoyed that film. I like that movie a lot. So that's a serious cast with a serious yeah. director, some UK gangster vibes, which I love.
5: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I, I mean, I was such a huge fan of Snatch and Lockstock. so yeah, I, I'm all about this movie.
1: All right, hey Steve, appreciate you giving us your time, and uh, we'll get uh, you back on the show in, in a week with Shane Hewitt. It was fun chatting, John. This
0: is the Shift Podcast.
1: Are you okay?
7: with taking dogs in cars oh i like how excited most of them get Mm -hmm. but they make a mess they do yeah
0: yeah. you know the mess is a problem for me it's actually usually a car ride can be like a nice relaxing thing for everybody involved Mm -hmm. but anytime you have to put a puppy in the back it's like i gotta walk to this window now i gotta go to the other one now i gotta go to the front Now i gotta go to the back and it's it just makes it kind of high stress. But for those moments where the dog actually just lays down on whatever and just chills, it's great. No,
1: no complaints. It's a good point. And also, like, it depends on the car. So if you have a truck, oh, yeah. you know, having a dog in the, in the bed can be a lot of fun for the dog, but also maybe a problematic because maybe the dog can't hold balance. If you have, like, a small, let's say, like, a little hatchback, a little Kia, and you've got, like, I don't know, a German Shepherd. It's a big boy uh that's gonna be tough that's probably not fun and indeed hair everywhere some drool that gets slobbered all over the inside of the window uh see i'm a cat owner so i I never had to deal with that and when i did have a puppy it was just a tiny little maltese so you know you can just throw him in, throw him in the bag and he's fine he kind of rolls around but it's it's usually pretty good you
7: you never took the cat for for a ride you know what i have i have
1: but i keep her in the in the little kennel and uh, oh, okay. she's she's pretty chill yeah. with it. She's pretty chill with it. Like she just, you know, stays, lays down and then whenever she needs something, she'll just reach out with a paw and just like tap me on the leg and I'll be like, All right, I'll pull over. I
7: did that once with a cat that I had. It was a super adventurous cat, loved oh, yeah. everything, loved looking out the oh, window. Yeah. Used to, it was a house cat, but it used to always try to get outside, so we were always fighting oh. with it to keep it inside. Um, but uh we decided to take it for a ride in the car. Mm. <laughs> That was one thing it didn't like. You want to talk about a mess. There was a lot of (laughs) fur everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. see, long-haired cats, they do shed a lot, I know, because I have a 15-year-old long-haired cat. Love her to death. She puked this morning. Uh, She's doing fine. It was a hairball. Uh, Okay, are you okay with taking dogs and cars? Uh, One particular dog has taken the internet by storm after it survived an interesting adventure involving a car and some sheep. Here's the story of Tilly, the two-year-old Border Collie. The dog was ejected from her owner's car after a GMC Yukon towing a white horse trailer crashed into them. During the crash, the dog was ejected from the rear of the GMC and is still missing. That is, until now. Here's more from KHQ
7: News. My grandma, she actually lives in Southern California, and she found the post, and she sent that to me. And I told her, yeah, we'll keep our eye out for him." And, well, this morning, um, I was just doing some chores around the farm, and my brother calls me, and he's like, hey, there's this dog over here in the sheep shoot.
2: The sheep were getting scared. Like, he's running out here. Our dogs are all,
0: like, freaking out. <laughs> Potter did keep his eye out and soon discovered Tilly on the ranch doing something rooted deeply in his DNA. Tilly, a border collie mix, was herding sheep. The Potters lured Tilly out of the sheep pen with something every dog loves, some salami. Potter then went to Facebook to try to find Tilly's owners. That turned out to be pretty easy. You want your ball? And for the Oswalds, seeing social media work this way was something special.
6: Uh, You just don't realize how many people are out there and how many people you know, uh, are looking at it, and, and we
0: wouldn't have him if it wasn't for social media. And so now Tilly's back home with his family doing what he loves to do, but instead of chasing sheep, he's chasing balls around the yard, and the Oswalds told me they're just so incredibly grateful for everyone who helped find
1: Tilly. Oh. Isn't that a happy ending to what would have been a pretty tragic story? Like, first of all, you know, when you're just rolling around town with your dog in the car, you're never anticipating getting into a car accident and then having the dog ejected from the car and then goes missing. Like, I can't imagine the stress, uh, the the sadness, how upset the owners would have been. But then, like, Silver Line, I don't know, is this fate or destiny? Uh, Who knows? But a Border Collie gets involved herding sheep, and this is so, like... I'm sorry, but I, I, I grew up watching Babe on VHS. I owned it. So, this, like, to me, it, it's just the most perfect scenario. The border collie, uh, Tilly here, just doing what Tilly was supposed to be doing all along, according to Mother Nature, just herding sheep. I love this story. I love this story.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. I just imagine, like, the, these, these, you know, the, or Tilly's parents finding out, your dog, my dog's alive? Yeah. Oh, my God. Where is he? Right. He's on a farm. What's he doing? He's hurting sheep. <laughs> <laughs> see, we, like, did, we didn't tell him how to do that. Instincts. And, that's and, and, what,
1: he's, what they're bred to do, man. Like, there you go. And see, wow. well, like, when, when your mom and dad is like, oh, you're, we're taking Tilly to the farm. Like, you know, that's not usually a happy ending. Like, you're just, you're, you're, you're hiding the truth. But in this <laughs> case, true. they go, Tilly's at the farm and then came back. So good luck trying to use that metaphor all over again. But uh, I, um, again, I'm just happy that Tilly's okay. Uh, I'm sure the sheep appreciated it, too. Right. Because mm-hmm. the sheep, you know, like they were probably, oh, like you're new. We're sheep. You have to do your job. We'll do our <laughs> job. You're you're new. You're the new guy. OK, we'll follow. OK, Are you, you're telling us to go this way. Here we go. you <laughs> It's from the Babe movie, if you don't get that reference. It's it's a wonderful movie. But the fact that Tilly's OK I Think it, it it's it's a really good reminder that of course that when you're driving around with your dog be be careful be extra aware. Although I get it, like Brandon was saying, it can be a little distracting. Not saying that they were distracted because maybe they were just you know the victims of a of a of a poor driver on the other side of this incident. But the fact that this was a happy ending, the odds would have been so low, guys. Like how many times have you seen a story like this? And then unfortunately, it's just the saddest ending. So the fact that we can talk about you know a rather s- delightful surprise and a bit of a twist, I, I love that. I love it a lot. Uh, we're getting a lot of responses in the text message inbox eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. It's a movie. This is a movie script. Yeah, yeah. This is oh, Babe 100%. three. Where where was the pig in this story? You know, like learning how to become a, the next Border Collie uh, pig hybrid and, and and herding the sheep with this Tilly. Uh, I think that there's movie magic here. Uh, Trucker Kevin saying, we've got a 15-pound ragdoll cat that thinks it's a dog. I, I appreciate that a lot. 15 pounds is pretty hefty for a cat. That's a, that's a big boy or big girl. But, uh, you know, chunky and funky, I think, is the, the word here. Uh, this one from Catherine, rolling around in the car around the corners as he curbs it yeah i mean if you got an animal in your car please don't tokyo drift just don't tokyo drift at all you know be gentle around those corners turn those indicators on not enough people seem to know that as well uh this uh, text also coming in this story reminds me of the song by fred penner with a twist the dog came back the very next day bom, bom. no we don't know that song
0: I might be out of the age bracket on that one. I'm sorry.
7: I watched a lot of Fred Penner as a a child. Mm. I uh, don't recall that one. Okay. Fair
1: (laughs) enough. Fair enough. I'm just happy. We're happy for Tilly. Tilly's got a new job. It's an unpaid internship, but you know what? It's fine. Tilly's loving it. All right. Let's move on. Are you okay? Are you okay with pennies? No no, no. Mm.
0: so dumb mm. like yeah. they cost more to make the, well they cost yeah that's right because we don't have them anymore thankfully got rid of them uh but they you know they looked fine but it, they were always just annoying and they smelled bad and and yeah no total waste i'm so happy wait a second did you
1: say they smelled bad oh they could are yeah. you smelling coins they, like yes mm, this toonie ah oh, fascinating
0: well, maybe not specifically that in that circumstance, <laughs> but but you know your wallet, you'd open it and you'd be like, oh, it smells like a copper pipe or something. Fair enough. It, Fair it, enough. it was weird. It just seems like a waste of good copper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, I'm not, and I'm very happy that Canada did the smart thing and get rid of them.
7: Yeah, and the, just the size, they would get lost and find them in your like. I would find them in my couch. That's I would right. find them everywhere. Um, Uh, yeah I don't like small currency in general Um, and here's the thing if you've ever been to Australia where I was for five months working boy mate um, their currency is backwards where the smaller denominations are the big coins oh that's weird and then like the two dollar coin is like the size of our penny uh, I didn't realize oh. this at first for, like, the first week I was there. It's the land down under. Yeah, I didn't realize this at first. So, like, there was these little small coins all over my room because they kept falling out. And I was just like, oh, the pennies, whatever. So, like, I finally when I realized they were $2, uh, I started, you know, collecting them. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a bunch. Of, and there was, like, $48 or something on wow. my floor and in my side table. I was like, eh, you know, I don't like small currency. It's very easy to lose and it's yeah. very easy to...
1: Well, you know, in terms of the penny, I think Ryan was onto something with the whole copper. Like, it, it got to a point where the Canadian Mint, when they were making new pennies, it wasn't even real copper. Like, it, it was a different metal. I, I don't remember exactly right. what it was. But because copper, you know, is, is an expensive metal, and the penny, as you were saying, was costing too much for production, they stopped using real copper. It was fake. And then they just kind of dyed it or painted it, whatever it was. I, I don't remember the exact details. I'm like you guys. I hate having change. I, I, I don't like my... Uh, like, I'm not a... I'm not a cowboy. I'm not in a Western. When I walk down the street, I shouldn't have like ching, ching, ching. You know, I'm not wearing spurs. So I hate change. I never carry it. I don't even carry most cash. Like, and bills just don't really find a way in my wallet. (laughs) That's just because I don't carry a lot of money. It's not because I'm poor. Maybe it's correlated. I don't know. But uh, get this. A man was really not okay with uh, paying for child support. So he dumped 80,000 pennies in front of his daughter's home as his final payment. Avery Sanford, 18, took those pennies and turned his act of anger into a positive for families in need. And before we get into the story, here is how the news packs uh, you are about to hear begins. It looked like
6: a landscaping trailer dropped a pile of pennies in front of a window mailbox last month. A deep run graduate says it's been hard trying to make sense of it
1: okay so that's the that's
0: (laughs) did you not get it not really make sense of it oh
1: my god (laughs) that one went right over my head i don't
0: know if he even realized it because i I still got the scholarship
1: thing on my mind and so that one just that one just went right over my head okay fair enough uh pun made Pretty subtly, it was good. just went under the radar. So let's learn more. Here's uh, WTVR News with the story.
6: If a penny is worth a thousand words... I just turned 18. Certainly 80,000 of the coins will help Avery Sanford tell her side of the story.
4: When I was in the middle of class, my dad came by. um, He had rented a trailer. The
6: Deep Run senior will spend the summer at home before venturing to Virginia Tech for her freshman year.
4: He pulled up in front of our house, like... Turned the trailer on, so it dumped out all the pennies in the street in front of our house. And my mom walked outside while it was happening. She didn't recognize him at first, and she asked, what are you dumping on my lawn? And he said, it's your final child support payment. And that's when she realized who it was.
6: Never thinking she'd have to use a snow shovel in the summer to scoop up some domestic drama.
4: It's not just her that he'd be trying to embarrass. It's also me. It's also my sister. And it's upsetting that he doesn't really consider that before he did this.
6: Once the pennies were picked up, Sanford and her mom decided to flip the script. Her mom donating her daughter's last child support payment, every penny, to Safe Harbor, a domestic abuse shelter.
4: Turning around and donating that money to moms and children in need, like I feel like that just really... Turns the situation into, like, a positive one, like, you can learn a lesson from
6: it. A lesson Avery is teaching, she hasn't spoken to her father in years. She says the penny incident proves she made the tough but right decision to stay clear, and she has no interest in having a relationship with anyone who disrespects her mother.
1: I think that's the proper response to that, right? I mean, that's taking a very unclassy move and then turning into an act of class, an act of brilliance, really. So 80,000 pennies is $800. So $800 goes a long way for any charity organization, right? So so good yeah. on them for wanting to uh, help out a little bit like that. I, I think, you know, it's it, Father's Day is just around the corner. Uh, that dude's not getting anything. That dude no. is not worth a penny. How about that?
0: No. And uh, what I find so ridiculous is that he had to go to a bank mm-hmm. and said, I need eighty thousand pennies, yeah, and no pen. and and you can tell that the bank tellers one hundred percent knew it was going to be for something really stupid like that. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, and I like I wondered like you drive away right, going ha 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 gotcha, and then immediately is like oh that might have been a bit much, right? That's so lame.
1: So <laughs> what
0: a what a loser.
1: Her mother filed a police report with Henrico County Police. Her father spoke in an interview saying it was 18 years of frustration built up. His emotions got the best of him. The last thing he wanted to do was, quote, put a further wedge between him and his daughter. Like, dude, mission failed, right? Like, that, that's
0: a—you're
1: yeah. doing 80,000 <laughs> we'll pennies time. with intent. Like, you don't just, like, one day wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this just for fun and ha-ha. Like this is how you make sure you never hear from your daughter ever again, man. Uh, maybe that's what he wanted. I don't really know. As you said, so uh, eighteen years of frustration built up, man. Take a chill pill. Take a chill pill. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more? What do you guys think? Or should we? Uh, you, you you can say no. It's fine. Yeah.
0: Oh, I don't. I don't manage time. It's all up to Brendan.
7: If we are quick, okay. We'll, it's
0: a quick clip. Yeah, we okay. we do it.
1: We'll do. We'll do this. Rapid fast. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are you okay with bird watching?
0: Yeah, my grandpa used to do it. Uh, I, I mean, I think if I was outdoorsy more, I might take it up. I've got a nice pair of binoculars, but I think it's a cool hobby. Brendan,
7: yeah, I think it's a cool hobby. I've never really done it myself, mm. um, but my grandfather used to really actually was into it. Oh, okay. I remember him showing me slides of some pretty interesting (laughs) birds. I
1: love that. Uh, Depends on the bird, right? Because right now it's crow dive bombing season and uh, crows are just not that fascinating. I I mean, I know that they're really smart, but not really... Again, I've never done it either, so I can't really say whether it's, it's amazing or not, but it can be exciting to spot a beautiful bird in the wild, and especially if it looks like a diamond in the rough. That's exactly what happened in Buckinghamshire in the UK, residents spotted a beautiful yellow bird. One thing, though, the bird turned out to be exotic, but in a very different way. Here's more from HLN.
4: An orange bird on the side of the highway. Oh, it was actually a seagull covered in curry. Wildlife Hospital had to rescue it. And the curry was preventing the bird from being able to fly. The bird's expected to be released soon. They gave it a bath. They have no idea how this happened to the bird. Wow. 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 So,
1: so, you know, you think you're finding like this beautiful, exotic bird and the bird's just like, help me. Help me. I cannot fall. Too much Vindaloo. Oh, there you go. So next time you have a little bit of a curry chicken, um, it might give you Second thought, just being like, "Hmm, curry chicken, curry bird." Ah, well, we don't know exactly how it all happened, but it did. Thanks for listening to the Shift
4: Podcast.
0: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.